Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Good Grief. My name is Dr. Christine Malone, and in this podcast, we talk about trauma, tragedy, and survival. In each episode, I will interview someone that has gone through grief in some way, and we will discuss the impact it has had on their life. By sharing these stories, we hope that others won't feel alone should they be going through similar situations. Enjoy. Okay, yes. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I have a very interesting topic for this one, and I have two guests that are going to talk on this topic. Uh, so we're talking about addressing an open letter to a person or entity that has caused trauma or pain to an individual. So we'll start with um, Rich, if you could introduce yourself and kind of give us some some background on your organization, kind of how you started it, why you started it, and then you know where where does it go from here? Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having us on. My name is uh, Richard Wilmore. I'm the CEO of Hearts Need Art. Uh, I wish I was smart enough to start the organization, but I am not the founder. Um, it was founded in 2016 by a, a leukemia survivor. She had uh, a childhood leukemia survivor who was a singer and had moved to San Antonio, where we're based. And she was volunteering in the hospital, singing to patients. And the more she sang, the more they wanted her. And it just kind of snowballed. And at some point she just said, this needs to be you know, a, a, a real thing. And so she founded Hearts Need Art in 2016. We were on one floor in a hospital in San Antonio and starting in a few weeks, actually, we will be in 11 hospitals in San Antonio. And then we also do virtual stuff, thanks pandemic. Um, so we offer, we offer virtual services all over the country as well. Awesome. And we work with uh, adults. A lot of people think we work with kids um, because of what we do and art. And so they go right to kids, but we actually work with, with adults and the healthcare staff to provide them with creative outlets. Yeah, great. Well, thank you for that. And so we have Andrea with us as well. And she's going to, if you don't mind introducing yourself and kind of your background. And then I'd love to hear, you know, how the process works when you work with a, a, a patient, a client, I'm not sure how you refer to them. Um, you know, how do you get involved with them? What's the process to get them to this, this space of, you know, that open letter and the forgiveness and the healing that goes with it? Sure. So I am Andrea Vocap Sanderson. I am a singer, songwriter, poet, rapper, event host. I do a lot of things here in San Antonio, but I'm also a teaching artist and I work for a couple of different companies, but I'm here representing Arts Need Art with Richard. And I'm so thankful that you allowed us to come on your show, Dr. Malone, and, and speak with your listeners uh, regarding the issues of grief and trauma and survival, because uh, every human being has been touched by one of one, if not all three of those, especially if we start talking about the last uh, two to three years of our life, where we were thrown into a traumatic cycle um, out of our, just because we lived on planet earth and we had to figure out how to navigate through those things. And when you start talking about how to process the arts is such a beautiful space to begin the healing process or to incorporate into the healing process. And so that's what we do at Hearts Need Art. We we send singers, we send poets, we send painters, we send people that are just in the creative arts. And we say, go into these hospitals 
individuals and we we just sit with the patients and we let them lead us and guide us and when we feel like we need to direct and course correct or steer some things we do that uh, because oftentimes when you walk into a person's room they may have confusion uh, about why you're there and so you go in and you state your purpose and who you are introduce yourself and then they start talking a lot of times and usually when they start talking they start telling you their symptoms and what their their current condition because they don't know what you're there to help them with or how you're going to help them and it takes patience because you sit and you listen for a while and because you don't want to feel like you're cutting them off to to get to a a goal of we're here to create something uh, when i walk into a room my goal is to get them to start speaking to me so either i can create a story or a poem based off of what they say or to get them to pick up the pen themselves and to write something and so i try to let them talk for a little bit and then i'm like okay i've heard what you had to say about this and this and that would you be interested and i turn it into an invitation to join me in the process of creativity uh, so they don't feel like I'm trying to tell them what to do. And I ask them, is there a place that you could see yourself starting the story? Um, and if they feel like lost in the sauce, they don't know where to start. I, I say, are you open to suggestions? May I suggest this or that? And then we we take it from there and see what we can get them to produce in a moment. And sometimes they're very open to it and sometimes they're apprehensive, but a lot of it is being a listening ear to them. And when you feel like they're getting stuck in this loop, and I do wanna talk about the loop of pain that we, we get into in our mind. Um, when we go through a traumatic situation, when we experience grief, when, when we are survivors of something painful, we replay the scenario in our head over and over again. And when we we get stuck in that moment of looking at it over and over again and experiencing the grief over and over again the hurt over and over again and it's damaging to not only our psyche but our soul and to get out of that space we sometimes need someone else to shift our perspective or help us with the way that we're looking at it say okay what are some of the emotions that you felt when you were going through that how can we see yourselves out of that how can we, and sometimes we may not get to in a session forgiving someone, um, but we can certainly deal with the shame and the guilt that we may feel because it's crazy. Even when people do stuff to us, we feel guilt, we feel shame. Sometimes it's them making us feel that way, but it's sometimes it's the voices in our head um, who are telling us to feel those things, saying it's your fault, putting the blame right here on numero uno when the blame, it doesn't belong to us. And so, um, you know, I, I feel like I've been talking for a while, <laughs> but that's that's some of the things that come up when, you know, when I first enter a patient's room or when I'm doing a creative workshop. Yeah, I love that you brought up the whole um, blaming ourselves thing. And I, I'll, I'll speak to, for myself that um, I definitely have some of that when it comes to some of the things that I've survived. And I, I looked at I look at it, especially when I wrote my my autobiography and said, I'm not responsible for that. I was three years old or, you know, whatever it might be. And still. Um, it's still, especially I think because of the mem some of my memories are childhood, children seem to think that, you know, they're responsible for the things that happened to them and so on. Um, I'm curious to know, how do you get to a point, and you kind of said, you know, you, you ask these, the, the patients, you know, to, to tell you how they might be open to the creativity. How do you 
under you know figure out that maybe a, it's a song or a poem or a, this letter how do you kind of understand from the story they tell you what would be the best method for um, that particular patient with their particular story right I think that there are times when the patients know themselves already uh, what they want but I rely on I wish I had um you know like a textbook answer but it's not for me it's it's gut and intuition what my spirit says um because i try to get a feel for the person when i'm in the room with them and sometimes it starts with me performing for them and seeing how they respond to me so if i open up i may open up with singing and go into a poem or singing or just do a poem most of the time they're singing involved but sing, singing is very disarming as soon as you sing to a person they're they're their their defense is going to go down somewhat um, because it's such a unique offering to someone and people a lot of times they just want somebody to pay attention to them because they are sitting in that room and when people come in that room they're coming to check vitals they're coming to to get something out of that person that they don't feel like they have control over but allowing them just to speak it gives them a sense of control and a sense of grounding to start putting things in order because there's a lot of foggy minded people because they're on drugs, medication, and they're not in their own environment. Um, and sometimes, you know, and even in our own lives, we self medicate with a lot of things that cause us to lose focus. And when you start to talk about things and tell a story, there's a chronological element that comes into it. Uh, but so I, I rely on that. And sometimes, I mean, you don't need to gussy it up with a, with, with a poem and the structure of a poem. Maybe it just needs to be a story that's told. And sometimes it's they're telling me something and I'm picking lines and statements and phrases from what they say. And then there is that point where after I write it all, I read it back to them and I kind of watched their their whole countenance change because they don't think that they are saying things that are all that profound and are all that meaningful. And then when they hear it back, they're like, wow, I, I did say that, you know? And so that in itself, it has a bit of a transforming element to it. It helps them to transform when they hear their words spoken back through someone else's mouth. So what I'm hearing from that, and one of the things my biggest takeaway is, I mean, I know uh, I've worked in healthcare a very long time, that the health our healthcare system focuses on on uh, symptoms, diagnoses, so on. We don't we don't delve into how you feel and why do you feel that way and how did you get here, right? It's all about how do I medicate you to not be depressed or you know whatever it might be the pain that you're in. We don't in healthcare in the U.S. really focus on causes with when it comes to you know the brain and what you've experienced and what's going on which i think is extremely important because a lot of people have um conditions that are related to something they've been through they've gone through not necessarily a virus they've been exposed to for example and so that's very important to to acknowledge and and my guess is some of the people you work with are just so surprised that that's what you want to focus on rather than you know, how, how much pain do you have in your shoulder right now, but how did we get here and what's, what's happened to you? Um, and so on. And I, I read a, I read a book actually about rather than saying to someone, you know, what's wrong with you? The question is what's happened to you. So the person really, you know, what have you gone through that's gotten to you at this point? So um, can you give us some, I'd love to hear some examples of patients you've worked with, um, you know, how you started out with them, got to the point of realizing, you know, what it was that would be the most beneficial for them, whether it's 
song, you know, writing, whatever it might be. Um, and then, you know, some success stories. I'd, I'd just love to hear some of that from you. Sure. So what I have seen reoccur in several times that I've walked into patient rooms is that it's older gentlemen. They have children. They have a place where there's been a disconnect in their relationship with their child. And they feel it's the some of the decisions that they've made in their life that have led to this disconnect and they're hurting because they really long to have a relationship with their child. Um, and they not only that, but they want to tell them these are the life decisions and choices that I've made that I feel are mistakes. Um, and I've ended up in prison or I ended up in a, a homelessness houseless situation or I've ended up with substance abuse issues and all of these things have contributed to me not being in your life and now I want to tell you number one that I apologize for not being there um two I want to tell you some sound advice and I want to have a relationship with you and I've, I've encountered several men like that when I've gone into so I let them tell me their stories and when I feel like they're getting to the point of being rep repetitive. Um, I say or, or, or they say something that I feel is like mm, that'd be a good uh, place to start with your story, I, I, I try to intervene and interject there and i'm like okay can we pick up the pen now and let's start with that, uh, for instance. I went in this one gentleman's room and he was doing an illustration and he knew that he wanted to write um, a screenplay and a book. He had a lot of ideas and he was like, I want my, 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 my daughter, my daughters to have hope. And I was like, Hey, how about we start about start with the definition of hope. Let's start your story right there. What do you define hope as? And then he told me this beautiful, uh, definition that sounded like it came straight off of Merriam Webster's dictionary or Google or something. And I was like, that's really wonderful. Let's write that down. Um, let's stop right now and write it down <laughs> because you're going to want to keep going. And, and, and it's like, if you don't, if you never pick up the pen and get the first words written, when are you going to start, you know? And so it's important to, you know, try to find those moments where you can, uh, get, 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 a, get a single thought and a single focus and start there in your story. And then from there, after you define hope, then my, my next thing was, okay, how do you want to express them getting incorporating hope into their life? And now, okay, yes. And then how do we start your story in this place of hope? And then you can tell the other things that happen, but that's the anchor, you know? And so that was a cool experience. And I got him to get some writing done that day. And it was and, and the, the thing with when we're working with Hearts Need Our Art is when you go to uh, because I don't go to the into the facility every day to see them. So when I come back, they may be discharged. They may be moved to a different space. And so I might only have that one encounter with them. And so I try to be as impactful as I can in that one encounter to get them to just start their story. And then I ask them before I leave, will you continue and try to get them to give me not with any manipulation, but try to get them to a place of yes to the I'm fortified in the resolve that I want to continue this process because there's definitely healing and telling that story and getting getting it completed.
Yeah. So that story makes me think about, you know, a, a, a parent, if you will, who's, you know, made some mistakes in their life and maybe they become estranged from their family and so on. Um, and that process, the word validation is what, what comes to mind for me to, to validate that, you know, there uh, I've made a mistake. Yes, but there um, there's forgiveness. There's, you know, I don't know, reconciliation that can happen and so on. Um, but how about a person who, you know, has experienced trauma due to someone has really hurt them. So a person who's been, you know, um, assaulted or, you know, victimized in some way, and they're holding this, this, this thing of, you know, grief and anger and wanting that apology that most of us won't, won't get. So how do you work with someone like that to really help them see or get to a space of um, forgiving that person, or at the very least, releasing them and getting them out of their head so that they can, you know, move on with their lives and not have that person taking up space or, or reliving that memory forever and ever and ever. Um, I'm just curious to know if you have an example for that. Uh, in my own life, I think it was finding, coming to the space where I realized, for instance, I had, my stepdad had a, a drug addiction and I realized a place where I was dealing with a lot of frustration was at the kitchen sink because I had to wash the, 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 the spoons that he used when he was doing it, when he was doing drugs. And so anytime I was standing at the kitchen sink, anytime I would handle that, it was, it was a point of, so I would get very angry. Um, and I had to come to the realization there's, there are things that we do in our everyday life that are for lack of a better term, trigger our, our, our anger and our pain and realizing what is at the root of what is causing us to be triggered in that moment um, and what are the emotions for that and how can I get to a point where I can reclaim this moment, this activity. Sometimes it's day-to-day -day activities that we have to do and we can't be we can't be stuck in this moment where it's like I can't wash my dishes because I'm I'm upset at this person for having to clean some, you know. And so I wrote a poem called Washing Spoons. And it was it built up to this moment where I was like, I have to stop being angry and because there's guilt and shame for me. Um, sometimes, like I said, when other people do things to us, we are we we somehow internalize anger towards ourselves. And I think getting to a point where we can verbally and maybe in written form denounce some of this anger towards ourselves and love ourselves. Um, um, and then we can love ourselves up out of that space. And if we can find a place in it, it may be just isolated things. I forgive this person for this part. I forgive them for this part until we find levels to build to where we can walk in forgiveness towards someone that has hurt us, that has traumatized us. Um, you may not it does, and, and forgiveness does not mean I re-enter a relationship with that person. I speak pleasantly of them. I have fond thoughts of them. It's not that. It's about I'm no longer angry. I'm no longer reliving this pain that they put me through at a certain time. I think one of the biggest things that I think of when you're talking, Andrea, is, um, you know, I'm not, I can't. Uh, I'm never going to accept what what these people did, or I'm not going to say it's ever okay. It's always going to be horrible. It's always going to be wrong. It's always going to be bad. But how do I, you know, um, take that and and stop 
feeling that anger, which of course we all know anger will eat you up from inside if you keep it in you. So, you know, how do I let that go? Even though, again, that person is never going to tell me they're sorry and I just need to move on. Um, but not to me, I think sometimes a lot of people think that if I forgive and I move on, that means that I'm okay with it. You don't have to be okay with it to get that that spot is kind of what I want to hear. How do you um, really address that issue? Because I know uh, for me, for my own story, you know, I have, I thought for many years that if I, I forgave the people that caused my, my, um, my trauma and my loss, that that meant it was okay. And I needed to get to a spot where I, I can accept that it's not okay. It's not going to be okay, but I still can do this place of forgiveness because forgiveness is for me and not for them. So can you kind of speak Absolutely. how you would help someone get to that space? Yes, there is the denouncing of the things, but then there is the reclaiming. I can get up and I can do this. I can re-enter because there's things that we give up that maybe we want to be able to do when we're hurting. Um, you know, it's like, for instance, I had a co-worker, a former co-worker. She went out one and we worked night shift. She went on her lunch break, she went to get gas in the middle of the night and she was assaulted and um, they stole some things from her. And so she stopped going out altogether, really leaving the house unless she was escorted. So then it was, <clears throat> I will leave my house at this point. I will start feeling empowered, trying to find places of empowerment to do things that I cut myself off from doing. And what are those things that we can look at? And it's, sometimes it's little by little, brick by brick. I will breathe through this moment. When the pain comes, when I'm reminded of the pain, I will breathe. I will not sit here for 20 minutes and replay it. Maybe I'll do it for 10 minutes and then I'll get up and do something else. And so it's just reclaiming the time, reclaiming the space and finding uh, things that we can talk about and, and then being able to talk about it and not suppress emotions when they come up but get past the most painful parts of it. And, um, you know, and that that's not easy, but it starts with loving ourselves uh, and through those moments and then thinking of ways where we can release that other person um, from the dungeon of <laughs> wherever we're, we're, we've, we're stuck at with them, you know? I'm gonna guess, um, and again, um, my own story, um, that there's great power in that. So for my story, the the providers that caused the injury to my son that eventually led to his death, um, their clinic was on a main area in the town that I lived in at the time. And for years, I couldn't drive by their clinic because to do so caused me um, immense pain. And I would think about what had happened there and think, oh, they're still operating, they're still in business. And it just drove me to, to where I just, I just couldn't stand it. But then one day I realized, you know what? they don't own this street. They don't own this town. Um, I could drive by there. I'm okay to drive by there. And to drive by there when I realized I could do it was extremely um, powerful. And and um, what I want to say, you know, kind of made me feel like I have the power to retake this thing that these people have taken from me in that I, I can drive down this street. I can drive by their clinic. I can do so. Um, and it's not going to make me 
fall into that space of darkness. And for me, that was, like I said, extremely powerful. I remember the first day I was able to do that, I, I pulled over and I cried. So like, oh my God, I drove by. <laughs> and it was a, it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. So I'm, I'm, I, I could really relate to kind of what you're talking about with that. Um, I have had guests in the show talk about, you know, um, domestic violence and so on and, and childhood abuse and kind of that whole space of, you know, how do I get to a place where I can, you know, not be triggered by this thing before, which um, I think for a lot of people, and I'm going to speak for myself again, a lot of those triggers are, are so in, ingrained in who we are that it's, it's so difficult to say, okay, I can say, you know, I don't think about these people anymore, but I'm still very triggered by certain things, right? Certain things will come up for me and having worked in healthcare for years, you know, certain things will come, come up with my career, right? But like, oh, I'm, I might need to step back because I'm being triggered by this. Um, so I've often thought the triggers just can't go away. So would you think that you, you know, through this process of, you know, um, you know, healing through whether it's, you know, singing, writing, whatever, can get you past those triggers too? Or would you say um, the triggers are going to stay there forever? You just need to kind of figure out how to work through them. That's That would be a question I would have. I think for some people, because we have negative associations, if we can find a way to have a different association with an item, with the space, uh, with the with people, if there's a place of we can move from that pain, say, I'm going to have a new memory in this space where I do something celebratory or positive or something that's affirming to myself, that might be, um, you know, just and for something as simple as being able to be in a hospital and having a positive interaction in a hospital instead of saying, I'm going to associate being in this hospital with the pain that I'm going through my body, that's a start, you know, for patients. It's like, oh, somebody came in and they smiled at me and we laughed about something. They told me a fun memory. They told me, so now even now I'm in this space and I might be experiencing this, I'm going to think of this person that I encountered and with something fond or great happened or pleasant, you know. And so maybe it's just those little moments. So it's like maybe I'm riding through this part of town and this time I have so-and-so in the car and they bring me joy and we, we go through this part of town and we ride past this place and I'm singing something or I'm celebrating my life or I'm having a good moment, you know? Maybe that could be a way to reclaim. And I'm really proud of you for being able to drive past that space and, you know, get past those moments of, I'd rather just go in there and destroy all these people, you know, because <laughs> I know that there was probably moments and maybe you still encounter moments where you feel that way, you know, but to, when we have, sometimes it's changing the language that we use and the thoughts that we think try to direct, redirect it, not being fake with ourselves, you can keep it real with yourself, but when you, when it's the, the negativity is snowballing, try to replace certain words and to replace certain thoughts with something else. Yeah. Well, that makes me think about is I have a colleague whose um, son took his own life and the day of his death, um, you know, the day in the month of his death, that those numbers st stuck in her head as being such a negative, negative thing. And what she had to do was find something positive about those numbers. Right. So rather than think of, you know, 518 is the day my son died. How is 518, you know, somehow positive in some ways to so kind of like reclaim that thing that was so horrible and negative because you're going to face it for the rest of your life and you have to be able to not 
hate whatever that thing is or fear that thing. I guess fear would be a word I would rather use there. So it kind of sounds like what you're talking about is sort of, you know, taking control of or um, mastery of this thing that was causing you pain. And how do you take that and make it your own again, make it your power, if you will. I love the word power. You're just kind of, how do I make it where I'm in charge and this thing is not causing me like for me to drive by that clinic, for me to be able to drive that by that clinic and not be just devastated about what happened there was a big deal for me. And I mean, it had nothing to do with the people who worked there, nothing to do with anything at all. It was me and myself saying, I can do this. I'm actually okay. I can do this. I'm okay, right? After I, I, This is my street. I'll drive down this any damn time I want to. And you're not going to stop me because my memory of this is so bad. So I think that reclaiming thing is part of what I'm hearing. And I think that's in my experience has been very powerful, um, not only for myself, but for other people I know have gone through some trauma. So um, is that kind of what you're saying is sort of one of the purposes behind this? Absolutely. Can I jump in with a with a story that kind of echoes that? Yes, please. Which I'm now realizing as Andrea is talking, like, oh, that's what I did. Um, as you're both talking. Um, so a few years ago, I was going through a divorce and it was not anything that I thought I wanted or needed or you know it was just like one of those things and then I I kind of made I I was angry of course and I was sad and I was going through all of those things and then one day I realized two things one I wasn't happy in the marriage anyway so now I get the chance to be happy and two me being angry is not ruining his day it's ruining my day so I have to make the choice of how I want to live my life. And it completely reframed that entire divorce for me. And it turned it into not necessarily like a positive thing, but kind of, of like, I get to have a new life now and I get to try to do the life I want. And then with numbers, like you were talking about, uh, they called to tell us kind of the day of, I had a choice of which day our divorce hearing was going to be. And I had two choices. And one of the days was the birthday of someone I loved. And I chose that day because then I knew I would be celebrating that day, the birthday, and it wouldn't have to be a negative experience for me. And I, I purposely chose that day to, to do exactly what you're talking about is reframing that entire experience to make it a positive. It's a great example. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm also thinking about, you know, in, especially with your story and, and things that are very much like that, it's kind of uh, when things happen to us, right? So someone else wants this divorce. Someone else has chosen to leave. Someone else has done this thing. Um, and again, I hate to use the word victim, but we are the person who's receiving this thing we didn't want. It's to kind of reclaim that and say, you know what? Yeah, this happened, but here's what I'm making of this is I'm going to learn, you know, how can I be in a relationship that's better, right? How do I, what did I learn from this that I can take forward to you know, next time I meet someone, I'm going to watch out for these things, or I'm going to make sure we could we talk about these things that maybe, maybe the mistakes we both made um, throughout that process and just kind of like learn from that and own it without feeling that sense of, of anger or guilt in some cases, right? I think that could be kind of a, a part of this as well. So I think a lot of these stories really have to do with, you know, how do I you know, accept it. Cause like, I know, I know full well, you can't go back and change it. You can't go back and say, Oh, I want to be the person I was before this happened. It's never going to happen. You're, you're different. You're changed because of what this thing was. So what can you learn from that? That help becomes, makes you become a better person, right? That the other people are on their way. They're on their own path, wherever they go. And 
I like to use the phrase, I wish them well, but I wish them well away from me. Um, so kind of, you know, what, what do you get to with, you know, how do you just for your own self um, preservation rather than, you know, um, what the, the, I want to say something about, you know, the whole regrets, I guess I want to talk about regrets. So I don't, I don't regret the stuff that I did. Um, I'm learning from it. So is that kind of part of what you're talking about here where, you know, you're learning what was your part, but, and you own it, but you're not feeling, you know, that, that, that guilt and um, regret. And I wish I could go back because you can't. And instead of looking for the positive, what did I learn and where can I use this new knowledge in my new life as I move forward? Yeah, I think that's what Richard's saying. <laughs> you know, something occurred to me when you were talking two terms, self-pity and self-compassion. And there's a difference between pity and compassion and discerning the difference for ourselves when you're looking on someone and you're feeling sorry for them or you're feeling sorry for yourself. And there's a place of mourning and wallowing and being in there. But then there's also a place of looking at yourself with tenderness and saying, how can I uplift? I, I see this person going through something and what can I do to improve their state of being, to improve my own state of being. And sometimes that comes with an ask from, from community from people around you to say, hey, I'm, I'm in this place where I feel like I don't need to be alone. I'm worried for myself. I'm worried for the thoughts that I'm having. Can you help me with feeling encouraged? Can you help me with um, finding a place to celebrate or finding a place so that I'm not stuck in this place of fear or anger or resentment or whatever the thing is that you're feeling? You do need to call on, we do need to call on community sometimes and the people who love us because sometimes in them showing us compassion, they help us with posturing ourselves to have compassion for ourselves. No, it's a great point. I also, when you talked about you know tenderness, I, I use the word grace, give ourselves grace. So um, I know a lot of us that have been through hard things, we, we look at what we did or how could we have avoided this or what did we have, what part did we have in this? Like, so for me, I think about the providers I chose for my son's birth. <laughs> I could have chose someone else. Yes, but hindsight is 2020, right? So, you know, think about, you know, what my part was, give myself grace for that. What, how could I have known otherwise? How could I have known that this thing was going to happen? Um, your example about the person who'd been assaulted, how could they possibly know that this awful thing was going to happen to them in this event? Um, and I'm guessing that part of that person's mindset was, well, I shouldn't have been in that place at this time. And that self-blame just eats you alive, right? Rather than you know, think about what, again, I hate to use the word victim, what did they do, but how could you move from that, right, to not necessarily hate them, or what they did, but just move on, that person needs to just go somewhere else out of my head, and I'm going to become this new person, because um, I can't forget, I can't un unlive what I lived, but I'm a new person, and I'm, I'm, I'm better, I'm, I'm, I'm more educated, I understand more. I'm more empathetic or compassionate, whatever it might be, to get to this space of um, of healing. That I think a lot of it again comes with. We have to give ourselves that that tenderness or that grace to say, you know what, you didn't you didn't know. You couldn't have known. There's no way you could have foreseen this thing, and that's okay. Bad things happen to good people, um, but how do I get to the spot where I can, you know, not 
fear that's going to happen again. So in, in Richard's example about a relationship, how do I get to a spot where I don't fear that the next person I'm in a relationship with is going to treat me in whatever way, or is going to misunderstand me, whatever it might be. How do I trust myself again to really feel like I'm, I'm okay. I mean, right. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do these things. Or even if I do, it's not my fault that I do those things. Right. So I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's kind of one of the things that really comes to mind for what you've been talking about. Yeah, I just thought of another answer to your question is gratitude. Grace and gratitude go hand in hand. Sometimes when I, I do writing workshops, the, I do a quick write just to get people's noodle going, so to speak, to get them thinking uh, in a different mindset because we come in way down and it's hard for us to be like, how am I going to be creative? Because I'm all I can think about is what I've been going through today. Uh, and I say attitude of gratitude. We're going to write a list poem of all the things that we can think of that we're grateful for. And I need you to give me at least seven things on your list that you're grateful for. Well, then that makes you start thinking differently automatically and shifts perspective. And then after we do that activity, people who walked in the room not smiling have a smile. People that walked in the room feeling whatever they're feeling, sometimes they even cry a little bit and then or they they start thinking about the things that they love and they embrace so when you think of that memory yes i lost so and so but i had four years with them i had 365 days with them i had this moment when we did this and we did that and i'm so happy i had that i'm so happy they showed me that i'm so happy that i was able to love them for this time you know yeah, it's a great point. That's definitely part of the, the very root of grieving in and of itself is to let those happy memories, those positive memories sort of, you know, outweigh the negative ones. I, I don't believe you can get rid of the negative ones. I think they're always part of who you are, but to focus more on the positive so that you can um, see what was the benefit, what was the, what was the, what was the thing I got from this? What did I learn from this person or my interactions with this person and so on? So I'm curious to hear if either of you can speak to, you know, how does your company interact? I mean, you talk about, um, you know, being online or, you know, um, not being in person for these visits in person. How do you deal with um, a situation where someone's, you know, in a rural area or they're not near one of your people like Andrea who can come visit me in person? How does that work? The um, power of Zoom is what we love. And we, we have worked with hospitals around the country. We've worked with individuals around the country. Um, it's very easy. We do it based on their schedules um, and it's it's free for, for people who need it. That's why we're here. So um, you get to choose whether you wanna try an artist or a musician or a writer, you can change it up if you want something new. Um, we have one of our artists who has been working with a person um, virtually for over three years now and they meet every week for two hours and they have just created some amazing stuff they've created a friendship and a really great connection and um they just really cherish that time together to simply create you know we're not therapists we're not art therapists or music therapists so we're not there for anything other than than the creative expression so there are some pretty magical moments even online yeah, certainly. I know that since we started with this whole COVID thing, that online um, can still be the same as in person. We're still seeing one another. You can still make facial expression, my inflection, and so on. So um, tell us how, if someone wanted to get in touch with you and your organization, what would be their steps? What, where, do you, where do we find you? 
we're on all the social media things, but also our website's hearts, heartsneedart.org. And all of the contact information is on there and how you can reach out. It, it's We have a very small, small staff. So if you email, it's probably me you're going to get and uh, I can point you in the right direction. Sounds great. And we will definitely put those links in this, um, in this uh, description when this podcast airs. So is there anything else either of you would like to share with the listeners about what you do or, uh, you know, kind of the importance of what you do or anything along those lines that you would like to share? I would like to share that giftings and talents can be very practical and we should never count ourselves out. So maybe you're not a singer, but you're a great gardener. And how can you use gardening to heal you? Maybe you're a good chef. How can you use cooking to heal? Maybe you're good with computer operations and designing things on, on the World Wide Web. You know, how can you use that gift to be a better you and for community? Because there is always someone else that you can connect with, whether it be one person or 100 people. There's someone that you can connect with and how your story and what you've been through and your giftings can make their life better. Yeah, and I guess I would say that, you know, I don't think we're not saying that um, going to one of Andrea's writing classes is going to cure anything or, you know, like we are definitely part of the healthcare system. And our vision is that one day when you go into a hospital, you get assigned a doctor and an artist of some sort. And we work together to really care for people. And that's our goal. I love that. And, and Andre, to your comment, I mean, um, I my sister lives with me and she loves to garden. So she handles all the gardening in the yard. I despise gardening. I have no no desire to get my hands dirty. Um, I love to sing, but I'm horrible at it. So I'm, I'm the best in the car with volume up and the windows closed. So yeah, so to kind of find the thing that works for, it's like stress. Well, how do you relieve stress? Some people it's exercise. No, I don't want to do that. Um, some people it's something else. So kind of finding what that niche is for you and what works for you, even if you're not good at it, right? So I've yeah. been to art workshops myself um, where I think I'm just, I'm not, I don't have an artistic talent, but I've gone and really enjoyed myself um, just in the fact of trying and, and dealing with it and seeing, you know what, yeah. just because you have no self-confidence in yourself for your ability to do this art thing, you know, you still enjoy doing it. So I think really bringing that out in people to say, you know what, just because you don't think you're amazing at it, I mean, you're not going on America's Got Talent. You're going to do these things that are for you just so um, healing and and wonderful, whether you are gonna, you know, publish it or, you know, whatever you're gonna do, make prints of your art, whatever it is, doesn't matter. It's for you and not for how you would do things in the future. So I think that's an important point to make. And I appreciate you bringing that up about different aspects, right? What, what works for different people might not work for someone else, which I think is, um, incredibly important. So I appreciate that. I always say that most of my artwork gets hung on the walls of a garbage can and I'm okay with that. It's, yeah. It's, fun. It, it's like saying, there's a difference with saying, between saying I like to paint and saying I am a painter. You by definition may not be a good painter, but you still enjoy the process of painting. And so saying, I like to paint, if you don't feel comfortable calling yourself a singer or a painter or a writer saying, I like to do this. 
And that's so, so important. I have written myself, I've written poems in my life and I know I'm not a poet. <laughs> so I've never shared it with anyone other than myself, but they have helped me to really put on, on paper what, how I'm feeling at the time and what I think is you know going on in my mind. Even though I look back and go, oh, that really is bad. <laughs> doesn't bad is a subjective term right was it good for me yes so does it matter that anybody else would ever want to read it or care about it no it, right, that wasn't what i did it for so i think that's an, a really important point to make with some of these you know art therapies is really you know it's not about can you sell it does anybody else love it is it going to hang on someone else's wall you know like richard just said it's in the garbage can whatever if you enjoyed doing it and it gave you something to do it um, that's what's important. So I think that's a great takeaway message for this um, this whole story. So I want to thank you both for your time in this episode. I have learned a lot and um, on a personal nature, I have gained a lot from what you've shared and I appreciate that. So um, I look forward to um, yeah, you're reading more about you. I'm going to check out your website. So yeah, and and my guess again, we're going to put in the in the comments or the um, the description when this episode airs. You know how how to reach your website and so on and so forth. So if people want to reach out um, and discuss anything more with you, they can do so. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Grief. To hear more about my personal story, please pick up a copy of my book. The Day I Became the Spider Killer, a memoir of trauma, tragedy, and survival, available in paperback, Kindle, and Audible via Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online book retailers.